0: Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. The Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to Luke. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony." "'Besides all this, between you and us, "'a great chasm has been fixed, "'so those who might want to pass from here to you "'cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us.' "'He said, "'Then, Father, I beg you, "'send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, "'that he may warn them so they will not come "'to this place of torment.' "'Abraham replied, "'They have Moses and the prophets. "'They should listen to them.' "'The rich man said, "'No, Father Abraham, "'but if someone goes to them from the dead, "'they will repent.' Abraham said to him, If they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to the Lord Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Paul in this letter to Timothy that we hear from to, that we hear today that honestly could be something that we um, could have been written like last week. Paul says that there's great gain in godliness combined with contentment, and it's really this idea about godliness and contentment that I want to focus on today. We might think of godliness, right? I mean, so that's one of those words. What does it mean to be godly? Uh, we might think about godliness in terms of being uh, like piety, which we should not confuse with being pious. What piety or, go- or, good- or, or godliness is not? Piety and godliness is not about outward signs of religiosity so that they may be seen by others. That is not piety. That is not godliness. Right? This is one of the things that Jesus says in Matthew's gospel as he's telling the people who are fasting and praying, if you're going to fast, for God's sake, put some, uh, clean up your face and put some makeup on so that people don't know you're fasting. And if you're going to pray, don't go put on your long robes and go out there so everyone sees that you're praying in public, but go and pray in secret to your Father. So piety and godliness is not about outward signs so that everybody looks at you and goes, man, look how godly Gabe is. (laughs) Gabe wears the beard so that people think he's Jesus or John the Baptist. I'm not sure which. (laughs) Piety and godliness is not about trying to outdo your neighbor so at least you're not as bad as them. Right, so, so, the, so godliness and piety is not saying, well, geez, at least I'm better than Carrie Blankenship. <laughs> godliness and piety is not about simply following rules out of a sense of duty or obligation or out of some sense of fear of punishment. Well, I got to go to church because... It's my obligation to do so. If I don't go to church, then, you know, God's going to send me down there. Right? That is not godlessness or piety. We, by our human nature, oftentimes find ourselves wearing these masks of religiosity, of godliness, so that we can convince people that we are really lovable people. Right, So if we think that if we can convince you that we deserve to be loved by how religious or pious we are, then surely you will love me. And I think that there's even something deeper there, which is that we think that if we can try to put on this mask of religiosity, then we can say to God, God, will you love me now? But piety and godliness by its very definition is a deep love that we have for God in Christ Jesus. A love that directs our daily life. Piety, godliness, is a conviction that we know that we are loved by God and believing that we are loved by God. So piety, godliness, is a love for God in Christ Jesus and a knowledge that we are loved by God. It is a relationship, right? It's not a list of things that we do or not do. Rather, it is a relationship that we have with God. But here's the thing, is is that this, this idea of godliness is something that we have to practice. It doesn't come by nature to us. We have to sit there and we have to work on this relationship with God. We have to work on the knowledge that we are loved by God no matter what. And so Paul connects godliness... This relationship with God and says that we also need to have contentment in our lives. Now this idea of contentment that Paul uses is sort of an inward contentment meaning I've got what I need. Right? Which makes sense because the next couple of things he says uh, connects it to the stuff that we have in our life. Last week, we heard a really tough saying from one of the gospels in which Jesus tells those who are listening, look, you cannot love God and love money at the same time. He says it is impossible to do both. Paul tells us in this letter today, look, you came into this world with nothing and you're leaving this world with nothing, right? You may be buried in a suit. You may be buried in a dress, But those things are going to decompose. In reality, there is nothing that we have on this earth that is truly ours. All of it is fleeting stuff that is either going to eventually uh, decompose or just go away. And so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is teaching his disciples about being a disciple. And he says, look, do not be anxious about earthly things. Don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what clothes you will wear. For life is more than food and drink and clothes. I've wondered if Paul was writing today, what things might he add on his list when he says, hey, the only two things that you really need are food and clothing. Paul's writing in a time in a hospitality culture in which you uh, welcome strangers into your home. Somebody needed a place to stay. And you're like, yeah, I got an extra bedroom. Right? And we sat there and filled our minds with uh, Dateline NBC and Law and Order. And we are convinced that everybody really is a serial killer. (laughs) And nobody, nobody is safe to be in our houses. So I'm wondering what Paul might add to that list that we might need to hear. Paul goes on to say that those who want to be rich will fall into temptation and be trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Dave Ramsey, when talking about this passage or this idea about the root of um, that, the the love of money is the root of all evil, he, he gives an analogy of a brick. Right? I can take a brick and I can put them together and I can build a school out of those bricks. Right? Schools are a good thing. I can build a house with those bricks. But I can also take a brick and I can go and I can smash a window open. Right, So the brick, he says, has no positive or negative value in and of itself. The brick only has value with what you do with it. And likewise, he says that money has no positive or negative value other than what you do with it. But the problem is, is that money is a little bit seductive because it tells us some lies that we really want to believe, but in the end, they are lies. One lie that money tells us is, is that money will take care of you, that money will meet our needs. And the truth is, is that eventually your money will run out, right? Either your expenses are going to go up high enough or um, it's just, it's going to run like, like, like very few people ever have everything they really need. Um, Whenever I meet with people who are in premarital counseling, right? And they sit there like, well, we're going to have kids once we have enough money. And I laugh at them (laughs) because that doesn't happen. Money tells us this lie that money will make us happy. Now, we actually know from scientific studies that this is actually kind of true to a point. Like like more money for a while does have a return of you feeling happier, but there comes a point in which it begins to dramatically reduce your happiness. There is such a thing of having too much money scientifically speaking because we begin to uh, it begins to control us in ways that are not healthy. Money also tells us the lie that with just a little bit more we will finally have enough. There's a story in the Old Testament in which the Israelites, they've escaped from Egypt. They're walking in the wilderness, right? They don't always have access to food and water. At least they're afraid to because they're in a desert. Anyone who's been in a desert knows that, you know, your choices are pretty limited. And so God begins to, you know, bring this this bread for them to eat. And and they begin to gather it. And they try to gather as much as they possibly can because they're afraid that it's going to run out. And then the bread goes bad and they can't eat it, right? And this is sometimes like the stuff that we have, like it it goes bad and it actually is harmful for us rather than something that is helpful for us. So Paul says to shun all of this, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. For those who are in this present age, he says... Do not be haughty or set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but set your hope upon God. Now, here's the thing is, is that all of us who are listening to this message today are looking around and going, I wonder who Paul meant this message to be heard. Because we think that, some, that wealthy is, is somebody else. But by worldly standards, I guarantee you that everybody in this room is wealthy. Now, there are some people in this room who are wealthier than others. But every person in this room by worldly standards is wealthy. And our stuff is the greatest obstacle to a life with God. This is what Jesus tells us over and over and over again in the Gospels. Jesus does not say in the Gospels, you're only allowed to leave your house on triple coupon Thursday. Jesus says, just be careful about your stuff so it does not begin to control you. Don't store up treasures um, on earth that will rust and be eaten away by moths, but store up a relationship with God who is everlasting and enduring. I think it is one of the really the, the, the tough challenges Um, of our day. And it's, it's one that I fight with on a daily basis, right? The new iPhone comes out and I begin to go, hmm, my iPhone 8 seems kind of puny next to what this one can do. Right? I sit there and I begin to look at my car and I say, well, there's some scratches on there. You know, maybe it's time to get a new one. Or the house in the neighborhood comes open and go, man, now, that would give us a lot more room if we just moved there. Like, like, those are the things that we all wrestle with. And the answer is not for us to necessarily be hermits, although there are some of us who really are called to that life um, of, 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 of living just like off the land, like some of the saints and the desert fathers and desert mothers did. But for most of us on a day-to-day basis, we have to wrestle with this thing. And the one thing I will tell you is, is one, have grace with you for yourself And two, don't believe the lies that the advertisements tell about you. You are enough. God loves you as you are. And quit trying to spend money to impress people who you don't like anyways. (laughs) Amen. Thank you for listening. For more, go to ChristChurchTulsa.org. And peace be with you.